And tonight we're, we're walking through the problem of evil and suffering, which feels like a, like a weighty topic and one that I don't necessarily feel super equipped to, to walk through. Because when I look out into here, I, I know a lot of people's stories that they're, of things that maybe you're walking through currently. Um, and, it, and it kind of pales in comparison to what I have walked through in my lifetime. But, it, but if we think about... Um, if we think about the definition of like suffering, if we think about that it is undergoing some sort of pain or distress or hardship, I, I would say that I, I have walked through some stuff. It may not be to the magnitude that um, some of you have walked in, through stuff in this room, but I, I definitely have walked through things. That, like um, when I was young, my, my uncle in Ontario, he passed away during a work accident. Um, and when I was in 10th grade, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. And I, and I, and I remember the night in which my mom um, was going through chemo, had, had her head shaved, and, and, and going through all the chemo treatment and radiation, and um, praise God that, that she was able to be healed from that, but I, but I, I understand those moments of, of hardship and pain and anguish. Um, and, so, and so it's hard because I, I, th- I think we often have a, a misconception of, of what suffering is sometimes or how we package it. We think it's only through loss or, or, or death. Um, and so I'll share a little bit about my, myself in this. I, I, over the last number of years, I think since graduating from engineering, even while I was in engineering, um, just a lot of times and moments in my life when, um, yeah, I, I would say that mental health was a, was a struggle and a challenge for me. A, a time in which I would have a lot of questions about my own purpose, um, was it my own worth, my own, like, what was I, what was I supposed to do in life? What was I doing um, thoughts that I just were super intrusive in my life, things that I didn't know how to really figure out, um, which brought me to a super low and, and dark moment in life and um, have, having to work through those things. And, and, and those things have seemingly crept up over the last year and a bit or since moving out here to Abbotsford, where you just have days where it's just up and down. And I, and I have no reason as to know why I feel super melancholic or I just feel like super low. And I can't put my finger on why I feel that way. And I, I, I try and converse with my wife, Jess, and be like, hey, like, I, I don't know what to do about this. I feel super antsy. I just need to go for a drive or something. I don't, I don't, like, I'm besides myself because I don't know what is going on in my brain. And there are moments when I have to just remind myself of truths. Okay, like, no, my name's Adam. I'm from Saskatoon. I, I now work at Northview. This is where I live. Like reestablishing what are, what are the truths that I know to be true, but then to a greater extent, I, I go and say, okay, God has created me. God loves me. I'm not defined by the things that I'm walking through right now, whatever suffering that I'm feeling at the moment. I'm not defined by those things. That there is hope in the future, even though I may not feel like it in the immediate. And so I have to preach to myself these things, these truths, and remind myself in the midst of hardship and suffering, that I have to be rooted in what truth is. And so while we, while we walk through this, I want us to be reminded of this idea to preach to yourself through the pain. That there are going to be moments when we've already, we've progressed through something or we're currently in the midst of something. I'm sure some of you are coming here tonight with, with some sort of burden, some sort of internal wrestle, some, some life event that has shaken you this week. And so while we walk through these things, I think it's important to, to preach to ourselves through the beginning, well, like prior to it happening, while we're actually in it and after. So if you, if you do not remember anything else, I, I pray that we are people that will continually preach to ourselves through the pain. 
And as I've alluded to, this is, this is, a, this is a challenging topic for us. We, we, a lot of you probably came and like, okay, I finally, we're going to answer this question of problem, and su- like the problem of evil and suffering. And so I, I feel the weight of that because it's like there is so much to it. There's like the, the logical side because it engages our brain. How do we, how do we make sense of, of evil existing in light of God? Like how do we rationalize that? How do we reconcile that within our brains? But then there's also the heart side of it because we, we feel the things that we walk through. We experience the hardships, the, the pain, the anguish, the hurt, the sorrow. And, and we walk through those things and we, and we feel them in here. So there's the question of, why is there suffering? But then there's also the question, why this suffering? Like, why am I walking through this in this moment? And so my, my hope for tonight is that we're able to walk through kind of understanding some of the logical side of it, but also like, how do I walk through the emotional side of it as well? Because I think it's, it's helpful to address both of these things. Because similar, like if you, if you think, like if, if Justin and I were to have kids one day, and I'm thinking about my future son riding his bike, and he, he takes a tumble off over the, over the front of the, the handlebars, I'm not going to be like, okay, son, like, if you would have just understood, like, momentum and inertia, and you hitting the brakes really hard, you're going to fly over. If you knew that gravity was negative 9.81 like, meters per second squared, like, you would, you would have known that this would have happened. But at the same time, that our hypothetical son, this is not like a baby announcement or anything, if people are wondering, I'm sorry, that's, uh, but, but in that, your, your child still just wants to, to know that they're loved. They want a Band-Aid put on where they've scraped themselves. So there's this dualistic side of it that there's something that engages our brain, but there's something that engages our hearts with this. And so I think it's important that we try and address both. So uh, first, we'll, we'll kind of work through the logical stuff, and then um, getting to the latter half, it'll be, how do we actually think about this as, as Christians? Um, so there is an uh, ancient Greek philosopher, his name's uh, Epicurus, and this is kind of his rationalization of like, okay, hey, this is why there cannot be uh, both God and evil. He says, if God is willing to prevent evil, but not able, then he is impotent, like he is without power. Is he able but not willing? Then he is malevolent, or he, he has a desire to do evil. Is he both able and willing? Like, where does evil come from then? Whence then is evil? Is he neither willing or able? Then why call him God? So he's, he's framing this argument of if, if God is all-powerful, if, if God is good, if we, if we take those two separate clauses of saying that God is good, God is powerful— yet evil exists, then God cannot exist. And so I, I, I'm hoping that through this, we can kind of prepare ourselves and add a couple tools in our tool belt as when someone comes to us and like, hey, how do I, how do I address this issue? How do I know about it? How do I, how do I actually like have a conversation with someone at my university because they're really struggling with this or they're, they're really putting the heat on with this question and I don't know. And I think that's a, a large reason as to why we feel unequipped is because we just like, we haven't taken the time to either dive into it ourselves or we're just, we have a hard time trying to simplify this. And that, I think that's where the wrestle of apologetics often comes is because we're unable to actually give a, a defense in a clear way. Um, so 
I think there's two words that we can familiarize ourselves with with this particular problem. The first one is theodicy. The second is, uh, is defense. That's not, that's not a hard word. Um, but a theodicy is, is a justification of why God would allow suffering and evil. So you're, you're giving the reasons as to why this is the case. Whereas a defense is simply something that seeks to prove that the argument against God from evil fails. That the skeptics have failed to make their case. So essentially what's happening is a defense shows that the existence of evil does not mean God can't or is unlikely to exist. In making a theodicy, the burden of proof is upon the believer in God. So if you're trying to say that this is the reason, the, the, the burden of proof is on you to say this is why it, it all unfolds this way. Whereas the defense is saying, no, you're just trying to disarm their, their, their particular argument that they have. You, mean, you don't necessarily have to believe it, but you're simply disarming them. As they say in sports, sometimes the best offense is a good defense. So he or she must be, like, if, if we're trying to provide a defense, he or she must provide an account so convincing that the listener says to the believer, oh, okay, now I see why suffering is worth it. But with a defense, you're saying that the burden of proof is upon the skeptic. That they have to answer. Why, why they believe a certain, those particular clauses or statements. So when we look at the one that Epicurus kind of comes up with, we see that God is good. If he's good, he would want to get rid of evil. If God is all-powerful, then he could, but evil exists, therefore God does not exist. And so simply a way to defend this, a defense would be saying that actually, no, that God has a reason for allowing this. Because when we, when we look at those statements that God is good, God is all-powerful, all, all evil exists, those things, they don't, they don't necessarily contradict each, each other. Like there, is lo- there can still be logical consistency with those things. And for a lot of us, this is maybe a little bit, a, a lot to, 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 uh, to parse through to stomach on a Friday evening after you've probably like all had finals this week. Um, but I, so I hope you're tracking. The idea is that you're, you're, you're showing that there's not logical inconsistency with the fact that God is good, God is all-powerful, evil exists. But that there's a reason for it. And, when, and then so the skeptic, the person that is, that is putting this upon you, has to, they have to come up with a reason as to why God does not have a reason for it. Good luck with an answer for that. Um... And I, and I think, similarly, if we, if we think about the problem of evil in and of itself, I, I think it adds to, a very, it, it, it creates a very compelling argument for God. Because we, we have to understand that evil just can't exist in and of itself, but that it is the absence of good. So without, without like, it, similar to cold being the absence of, of heat, Evil is the absence of good. And it, I guess the best way to look at it is, is with the money. So like, uh, I just have this in my wallet. I don't know, I was down in the States recently. Anyways, this is a real $50 bill. But, so we, like, we, we can say that a real $50 bill exists without needing a counterfeit. But you can't just have a counterfeit without actually having something real. Does that, does that make sense? 
Like it, it, I think it's really noticeable in the sneaker world these days. There's like there's actual real shoes that Nike and Jordan create, and then there's actually replicas. But the replicas couldn't actually be replicas unless the real versions of that thing existed. And so it, it's the same thing when we think about evil and good. That that evil is actually the absent. Evil is the absence of good, and it's actually the, the corruption of, of good as well. But then you're probably thinking, okay, how, how can, like, can, you not just be, can we not just be the people that define what good is? Can we here in this group all come to, come to grips with, okay, what, what, how are we actually going to define what good is? We'll take polls and we'll say, these are, the, these are everything that makes everything good. But then how does that compete with something that like, people outside of here in your classroom saying, okay, no, this is good. It, it shifts from place to place. And so there needs to be a, a, some sort of a, a transcendent or like, uh, essentially we, we, we are able to understand that there actually is good because there is a transcendent person that gives us a moral good, which is God. Because if it's us defining it, we, we can always shift it, we can always change it, we can always make it what we want to but all of us in this room would say that rape is bad. We would all say that murder is bad. We're not going to go to some other country in the world and they're saying, yeah, actually, that's good. The Bible says that we all have God's moral law written upon our heart. We all know there's something transcendent. There has been a good that has been defined, and that good has been defined by God. Because we've been hardwired by the Creator to know it. And so when we think about evil and we, and we see how some of the atrocities that happen in our world and we, and we try and make sense of it, those things wouldn't exist without there actually being the presence of good. And that good has been laid out and defined by God. Um, and I, I think a lot of you guys are, are maybe treading water with some of this stuff. I don't know. It doesn't feel like it is stuff that maybe is often talked about. And so it's challenging. And so I, I want us to be reminded of the importance of actually being able to communicate these things. And I, I'm, like, while I'm up here, I feel like, man, I, I hope this is landing. I don't know. And so it even speaks to myself of how important it is, is it for us to be able to clearly speak about these sorts of issues. Because when we go out here, like, it's, when we go out into the world, there will be real people that have real questions, and this will be one of them. And I, and I wish with apologetics there was one like singular argument that we could just always have as Christians and be like, silver bullet, here we go, boom, you believe. Like, I, I wish that was the case, but it's not. But there are a multitude of reasonable reasons as to why that we believe that God exists and that the, the Bible is reasonable. And so are we willing to learn and take the steps to actually add a few more tools in our tool belt? of simply being like, hey, no, this is a defense. I'm trying to come up with a reason as to actually refute what you are saying and putting the burden upon you to actually come up with a reason. And so while I wish that were the case that we could always just have an answer that would bring people to their knees, we don't. But we have a lot of reasonable reasons and logical reasons as to, as to be able to rationalize through this problem of evil and suffering. This is just the tip of the iceberg, so I encourage you to get into to books yourself. Whether it just be like a few entry web pages of like, well, I don't know why I called it a web page, that's so lame. Uh, <laughs> just go on the internet and just and 
like, look for good resources. Don't just, Wikipedia is not your friend most of the time. But like, actually, let's, let's, let's do the work of, of, of studying this, of trying to understand it, of equipping ourselves so that we can actually be able to talk with other people and share. Because it's not about knowing everything, but it, it's a large part about just being able to communicate what you do know and communicating it clearly. To actually have a reason and a hope, to give a reason for the hope that you have in Jesus. So why do, why do I actually think this, is, this, this topic is important? Um, because pain and suffering is a universal experience shared by, by everybody. If not, if not you, you know somebody that is currently walking through something. If not, if not now, you have experienced something or you will. Like it is a universal experience for everybody. And, it, and it's this experience of pain and suffering and, ex- and seeing evil out in the world that, that is often very jarring for us. It brings us to our knees. We're like, we, we are shocked by it. We're saddened by it. We're angered by it. We become bitter. We become depressed. And I think because of that, it, it, it causes us to either respond in one of two ways. We either will take these truths and hold on to them, or we're going to push God away. And I think that that has been my biggest wrestle this, this week in prepping, is that I, my fear is that someone is going to have something happen in their life, whether if it hasn't happened already, where you start to question whether or not your belief system, whether or not what you have held to it, coming to maybe, to the, I, don't know if you, I don't know what your story is, but if you've come to Northview your whole life, or you've come for the last five years, and you've started to hear what the gospel is, or you've heard what the Bible is teaching, you're going to start to question what, does this actually make sense? Is this actually consistent? Can I actually believe this? Or you're going to start to adapt what you initially believed about Christianity, and you're going to start to adjust it. You're going to start to say, uh, maybe God isn't all-powerful. That helps me stomach this a little bit better. Mm, maybe God isn't all loving. This becomes a little bit easier for me to like stomach. Mm, maybe God doesn't exist. And so my fear is that people, you guys, will have something happen in your life and you start to question, you start to walk away, and you abandon the faith. And I get it. I, I get that it is hard because we don't have categories sometimes for things like 9-11. We don't have categories for Abbotsford flooding. We don't have categories for, like, what does it actually look like for the systemic homelessness on East Hastings to, like, continually exist? We don't, it's, it's hard to, to put categories for that. But I also don't have a category for the God of the universe coming to me, revealing himself to me through his word and through his spirit so that I may know him. I don't have a category for that, yet I trust it. And so my hope is that we start to, to understand these things, that we continually teach ourselves and preach to ourselves, to evangelize to ourselves. And you're like, oh, I thought evangelizing was for people that I'm sharing with, but you need to evangelize yourself, to remind yourself of the good news, to remind yourself what is true in Scripture, so that you can remain steadfast, so that you can persevere in the faith, to be reminded of the promises that we have in Jesus. And so I think it's very similar to, like, being on an airplane. I, I, 
the amount of times that I've, I've flown, I just like know the pre-takeoff spiel like so well. Where it's like, make sure, like if you, men, I say that I know it super well and then here we go. Good grief. Um, in case of emergency, they're like, make, go to the nearest exit. Your nearest exit may be behind you. In case of cabin pressure loss, there will be a mask that comes down. Make sure you secure yours before securing someone else's. There w- <laughs> um, even if the bag is not inflating, oxygen is still flowing to your mask. It's stuff like that. When, in case of in turbulence, do up your seatbelt. It's just, it becomes so repetitive that you're like, I know, I know, I get it. Why do we do this every time? Because in case if you actually do go down, in case if there is cabin pressure loss, in case if there is turbulence, you know what to do. You know how to actually handle that sort of circumstance. And so it is the same when we walk through our own suffering, our own pain. If we preach ourselves the gospel and know what is true, we'll be able to handle those moments. And so that is what I desire for us as a young adult community is to actually know the truths of the gospel and to continually preach them to ourselves. And I, and I think the reality of, of you being here this evening says something about what you believe about God, that you, you are here on a Friday night. Maybe you, you've walked with God for a long time. Maybe you're like, I'm checking it out. Maybe you're on the fritz because something in your life is really hard right now. And so my, my desire is that all of us would be able to walk away um, continue being reminded of preaching ourselves the gospel. So point one, brace, brace for it. Expect it. I think we all have a lot of expectations of how life should go. We think that this is, this is my life plan. This is how it's going to work. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be perfect. I have all these expectations. It's going to be good and long and prosperous. Suffering is for people out there. Hardship is for people out there. It's for people that didn't take the right precautions. It's for the people that are poor. It's just the cards they were dealt. We think that our life is just going to be continually filled with momentous occasion after momentous occasion. High after high after high. Everything's just going to be wonderful. And I'm sure a lot of us, as we came out of high school, we had a lot of ideas of what life was going to look like. Maybe like, okay, sports is my ticket out. I'm going to go to CIS. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, I don't know, CEBL. I'm going to go play for the, the bandits. Boom. Blown t- blown, you blow out your ACL. Then what? You have a domineering coach who has made you hate the game. Or maybe you're like, okay, schooling. I'm excited. I have this degree plan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to go after. I'm going to go to Bible school. Pandemic says, nope. You can't travel. What happened to your perfect plan? You think about relationships. Like, hey, this is my core group of friends in high school. We're just going to have the great, greatest time. We're going to have parties all the time. We're going to hang out. It's going to be the best. We're going to get, like, matching bracelets. Tattoos, maybe even. But like friends move away, priorities change. People just cut you off. Those are, these are all like things that we experience, I think. It's, it's suffering to an extent. 
or you're like physical, like physical vitality. You're like, I'm going to be hot and hip forever. I'm just going to do my Zumba classes and my yoga. I'm going to go running. You, you get in a fatal car accident and you can't, like you're in a wheelchair. Or like, okay, perfect family. My family's perfect. I'm going to have a, a, a perfect family of my own. Then there's some sort of infidelity in your, in, your, in your family. And either your mom or your dad has had a different partner for years and you didn't even know about it. And we, and we walk through these things and, and we think, okay, what? We have no sort of category or rubric for these things. And in all of our expectations and dreams and desires, we fail to account and remind ourselves of the existence of sin in the world. And we need to brace for that. We need to know that. That the world is, is under a curse. If we, if we read Genesis 3, we see that. We see that everything about life has become hard. Relationship has become hard. Work has become hard. To actually have a relationship with God is, is non-existent apart from him coming to us. And now what was once deemed good in the garden is now groaning and longing to be made new. So now we experience everything, the good, the bad, the ugly. Natural disasters, broken relationships, physical ailments, disease, failure, heartache. The world is, is now marred and broken by sin. And we experience pain as a result of it because we feel the ramifications of sin. And I think there's a, a second reason as to why we should expect it is because Christ promises that we, like, we're going to endure hardship and suffering. In 1 Peter 4, he says, uh, well, Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the very fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you have Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And so some of us may, may not like that thought. The thought of the fact that we go through, through difficulty and, and trial and hardship because it presses up against our expectations of how life should actually go. But I, the thing is that you and I are not in need of, of comfort or no, we're, not in need in, we're not in need of predictability or just like temporary happiness. We're in need of a savior. We're in need of a redeemer because of sin. So I say, brace yourself. Because through sin and through the expectations that we have as Christians that we are going to go through hard times, prepare yourself for it. Expect it, because when you're actually expecting it, then you can actually make a concerted effort to be like, okay, I'm going to continue to preach myself what I know to be true. And take hope in knowing that you are being refined through them as well. Just as gold or silver would be refined and made more pure and, and more elegant and beautiful and, and upping its worth, so is the same for us. We are being refined by our trials, by our testing, so that we may become more like Jesus. And I think what Jesus promises, he says, in this world you will have trouble, you will have tribulation, but, but take heart because I have overcome the world. And there's so much hope in that, knowing that we actually have a sympathetic Savior 
that you are not alone, that we have a God who is there for us, that we don't walk through these things by ourselves. And I think often the hard part is that I, like, isolation is such, a, is such a sucky thing. It's, it's terrible, and I think there's a reason as to why in prison they make it, like, sol- solitary confinement is such a bad thing. It's because you're by yourself. But I, but I think what is worse is being, feeling the, the feelings of isolation, but when you're in a room like this. When you're, when you're coming here, and you have something that is going on in your life, and you're like, I, people just don't get it. They won't understand what I'm walking through. They may say the right things. They may like, oh, yeah, I've had something similar happen, but they just don't get it. And so you feel isolated. You feel challenged by it. No one gets it. No one cares. But Jesus does. He knows. He cares. And he walks with us. Because we, we know that Jesus is someone that actually is able to sympathize with us. That he actually has experienced the things that we experienced. And so much more in terms of suffering. Like, the dude was born in a manger. Most of us probably were born in hospitals. You continue on through Jesus' life, he's like on, on the run for a little while because this guy's trying to kill him. Herod is trying to kill all the, first, like all the newborns, and so they have to flee to Egypt. So like, beginning of his life, he's like, okay, I'm out of here, I gotta run. Jesus knows what it feels like to lose a friend. Lazarus dies. He knows what it feels like to have people abandon him. Like his, his closest disciples, his closest friends walking along with him, the ones that are praising his name as he enters in to Jerusalem, they all ditch him. They say, peace out. I'm not about this life. And ultimately, he, he dies on a cross, which is like the most humiliating form of, of death known to man then and now. Like, it, it would be, it'd be similar to, to someone being, like, executed here on stage with, through the electric chair, naked. Like, there's nothing more, like, humiliating and excruciating than to, to, to have that sort of death. And so while we think, okay, death, yes, death is bad, but it's also the fact that he took upon the burden of our sins and felt the separation of God in that moment. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. We're not alone. We, we have a Savior that knows us. He knows our names. He cares about us. He knows everything that we're walking through. So we don't walk alone. It may feel like it, but God is there. He's able to sympathize. He's able to, to figure out what that feels like, and he cares for you. So don't, don't think that you're walking through your suffering alone, but preach to yourself the knowing that you actually have a sympathetic Savior who cares for you in the midst of it. And so finally, I, I think that we need to realize that it's, suffering is now but not forever. That there, that there is actually hope at the end of the day. That there is hope in heaven. And so while we, we think about our lives and we think about how dim and bleak they can be at moments, and how disheartening it can be, we remind ourselves that it is temporary. And while I say that, I, th- I think it's hard because I know people that, that have either physical things in their life right now that like, probably don't seem temporary. 
And there will be some of us that walk through things that like will be temporary in, in, in light of eternity, but in terms of this life, we will, we will continually struggle. Things will continually be hard. Like one of our pastors on, on staff has to get his esophagus stretched because he has a, a, like a stricter, so every four to six weeks he has to get his esophagus stretched. Indefinitely. That doesn't sound fun to me. And so for when I say, like, when these things are temporary, I mean that they're temporary in light of eternity. Because if not, we, like, I think that's, we have, to, we have to hope for that. We have to trust in knowing that. That God is delivering us to something that's so much more than what this life has to offer. That it's an eternal dwelling with him. That there's actually something that is so much greater than human flourishing. All the, all the right academic marks and the friends and, and, and the car and the house and the job. There, there's something much greater than all of that. And there, there's something worse than human suffering. And that is to, to not know God. To be apart from him for eternity. First Peter says, Praise be to God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have uh, had to suffer grief, and all kinds of trials. Uh, young adults, there, there will be things that are difficult in your life. There will be things that, that, are, that are challenging, that you don't have categories to put them in. You will have people ask you questions that you, you even regarding this topic, that will be hard to answer. But I, but I hope and I pray that we are people that will continually preach ourselves the truth of, of the gospel. That we don't walk alone in the midst of a fallen and broken world in a sinful world. That, that, that Christ has redeemed us so that we may know him. That he took on the ultimate suffering, the suffering that we deserve. Like we, like, I don't think that we grasp that sometimes is that we, he, like, he's died in our place. And we're like, I just want justice, but justice is for us to die. But he's taken on the weight of sin. And so we look forward to the future. And in Revelation 21, it says, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. When we think about this, we need to be reminded of the hope that we look forward to. We need to think about what Christ has done for us. We need to think about the ramifications of sin in this world, and we need to continually preach to ourselves. Um, the worship team is going to come back up here, but we're, gonna, we're also going to have time of prayer this evening, and so I, I encourage us um, to actually 
support each other. Um, I, I think often, it's, like I talked about, we feel like we're alone in, in, our, in our time of, of hurting or suffering, and you're like, ah, oh, this, this feels really small. Like, I don't need to tell anybody about this. This is, I can handle this. I'll be better next week. But I, I encourage us as we think about this and as we, we continue to preach to ourselves, maybe we actually be evangelizing other people, being rem- reminding them of the truths that we know. Actually doing the work of praying with each other. And saying, okay, I'm, in, I'm a part of this community that, that holds to these things, but like, I don't actually need to live in light of those things. So I, I would love to see us be people that are like actually sharing when things are hard in our life. To actually be vulnerable, you can actually take your mask off. You don't, like, not like you're, we're done with those, but like metaphorical masks of like, I have it all together. My life is, is daisies. Like it's, it's great and it's grand. But maybe we actually be people that are like, okay, I'm going to be honest, vulnerable, and open about things that are going on in my life, about what suffering I am walking through. And be like, here's Jesus in the midst of it. Here's a, here's a word from Scripture. Here, let me pray for you. And so if that is you tonight, if you're like, I, I've had a crappy last week, or I, I, my, my family member is walking through this, or I am walking through this, or this has been a really challenging for me, or I don't know how to make sense of any of this that I heard tonight. Um, we're going to have people that are up at, up at the front to pray with you. So I encourage you to do so. Um, is it awkward sometimes to come up to the front in front of your peers? Yeah, it is. But let's actually do the work of like putting ourselves out there. And continuing to preach to ourselves. So that we can be ready when, when trials come. Um, let me pray for us, and then, Joni, you can take it away. Father, you are um, you're beyond our understanding at times, yet you've graced us with the ability to, to, to know you in a personal way. And sometimes that is a little bit mind-boggling, that the God of the universe would extend himself towards us, And it's hard to rationalize that in the midst of what we see around us in this world. The things that we experience, the things that we feel, the challenges, the the turmoil, the the pain, the burden, the missed expectations. But Father, I'm grateful that in your kindness and your mercy and your grace towards us that you sent Jesus. You sent yourself to to die on a cross for us, that we may know you, that may we be able to have a hope, that we wouldn't be stuck in this thinking that there is no way out and there's no solution to it, but that there is um, conquered suffering because of your son. So in light of that, may we just continually preach to ourselves and know that God is good, that he is loving, that he is kind, that he has made a way for us to know And we would just be continually seeking you in the midst of our hard, hard times. I pray all this in your son's name. Amen.